Welcome to Water Cooler Politics, the podcast where we discuss the latest political news and give our unique take on the issues that matter most. I'm Chris Arps, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, my wife, Becky Arps. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. I'm excited to dive into some of the hottest topics in politics today. That's right, Becky. We're going to be talking about everything from the latest White House news to the biggest stories in Congress to the state of local politics in our own backyard. And we're not just going to be giving you the same old tired talking points you hear on cable news. We'll be bringing a unique and fresh perspective to the issues we discuss. That's right. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's dive into the world of politics together. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And be sure to follow us on social media for even more great content. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. So it's a week later, and former President Trump is doing rallies in Texas and not on house arrest in New York. What's happened regarding the indictment this past week? Well, of course, Becky, you know, grand jury proceedings are secret, so we don't know exactly what is going on. But last week, the uh, circuit attorney, district attorney, as they call it in New York, dismissed the grand jury on Wednesday. That is after a letter was released from former Trump associate Michael Cohen that seemed to back President Trump's claims that he had nothing to do with this payoff and that this was something that Michael Cohen did on his own volition. So D.A. Bragg, he dismissed the grand jury. They are meeting this morning, Monday, as we tape. Many are also speculating that the reason why he dismissed the grand jury on Wednesday was because Michael Cohen, of course, is a convicted perjurer. So his credibility is shot and he may be using that extra time to find new witnesses to bolster what many legal experts think is a very weak case against the former president. The Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan, House Administration Chair, Brian Stell and Accountability Chair James Comer sent a letter to Bragg that he has a March 31st deadline to sit down for a transcribed interview and turn over documents related to the probe. Can they do that? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for the DA Bragg to appear before those House committees. Many say that the House committees possibly subpoenaing Bragg is unconstitutional, that they really don't have any oversight uh, in this matter. The House committees claim that they do have oversight because the DA's office does receive federal funds. And because of that, that gives them the authority to do this. You know, I think this has serious constitutional concerns about separation of powers between the states and the federal government. This is a local matter that the DA is prosecuting against the former president of the United States. It's a bit concerning to think of Congress bringing up an investigator before them to ask them about the investigation, a pending investigation, and asking about the evidence. You know, I heard a congressman, one of the congressmen who is on one of these committees, he said that they are justified to bring Bragg uh, up to this committee because he has elevated basically a misdemeanor, which the statute of limitations has run out, into a federal crime. And because of that, that also gives these House uh, committees oversight to bring him before Congress. As I said, I would not hold my breath waiting for D.A. Bragg come before them. So I checked because I was just kind of curious. Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan does have a legal degree, but he never took the bar. House Administration Chair Brian Steele is a lawyer. And Accountability Chair James Comer has a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture. 
I'd hope that there were some legal minds that were advising those that maybe didn't have the legal experience. Do you think there would? I think what you're missing, Becky, is uh, this is a political matter more than it is a legal matter. And these House committees have taken it upon themselves to defend the former president of the United States. I think inwardly they know that these are some dubious claims to make that they have oversight over D.A. Bragg. But This is political. They believe that the DA is playing politics by indicting a former president. So they're going to play politics by bringing him before the committee. I think first and foremost, you have to look at it through that political lens to understand the reasons uh, why they're doing this. Okay, so let's go down that political path. Politically, is it a good move for them to do? It all depends. I mean, if you want to make sure that you have the Republican base behind you that has swept you into office, then I think it's good politically to look like you are defending the former president, who is, of course, running to gain his old job back, and he is ahead in the polls. So I think in that sense, it is good for them. On the other hand, it it makes fodder for the mainstream media and the Democrats and the liberals constantly heard on the Sunday shows this weekend how the Republican Party is owned by Donald Trump. And the reason you can tell that is by all these Republicans and House members coming out to defend the president and wanting to bring D.E. Bragg before them. The media has painted that as proof that this is Donald Trump's party. I can't think that it would help independence, though. We wouldn't be gaining any support from independence for this move, would we? I wouldn't think so. But I think at this stage of the game in a presidential primary season, Trump is looking to rev up the base. He's looking to win this primary and win it decisively. So I think that's what he is focused on more than anything. I'm sure those in the Senate who have kept quiet about this rally and about some of the other things Trump has done are not pleased about this. And they're concerned how this plays to the center. But to uh, President Trump and his supporters. They're not worried about it at this stage in the campaign. So do you think, and I know you don't have a crystal ball, but do you think D.A. Bragg will complete his grand jury this week? I have no idea. You know, I said last week on the radio show and on Newsmax that he may have ventured to a point where he has crossed the Rubicon And there's been so much publicity about this case and so much pressure on him from progressives and left wingers who want to get the president, even though they know this isn't the strongest case, that maybe the pressure on him is too strong and he goes ahead with this case. Um, He is a Soros-funded prosecutor, just like the one we have here in St. Louis, Kim Gardner. And so they have elected him on a platform of social justice and to get President Trump. That's what he literally platformed formed on when he was running, I will get President Trump. So he may feel that he owes his donors and supporters, President Trump said, because of those promises that he made during his campaign to office. And yet all this attention is on that and crime continues to rise in New York City. Yeah, that's the big comparison that everyone makes that he's spending all this time, money and effort on trying to get the former president of the United States on what is a case that is a misdemeanor. And worst of all, it's the statute of limitations is run out. Meanwhile, murders, homicides, rapes, burglaries are all up in New York City. 
And a lot of people, especially many New Yorkers, think that the focus uh, is in the wrong place. I mean, if you really look at it, the reason that Kevin McCarthy has a majority in the House right now was because uh, what happened in New York, the redistricting fiasco of the map got thrown out and a map was redrawn that was more favorable to Republicans. And that gained them the advantage. Four of those new seats were won by Republicans, and those Republicans won those seats because their constituents were concerned about crime. It's a concern all across the country, unfortunately. It is, especially here in St. Louis, where we've seen a super spike in crime. We have a George Soros prosecutor. We have the drama of the attorney general trying to remove her, the drama of the state legislature trying to reduce some of her power. And add to that, you have the state legislature that wants to take local control away from the police department. Crime is bad all over the United States. And what is proven by anything is that the social justice policies of being soft on criminals and trying to take another look at crime don't work. And we need to go back to what works, which is things of the past of what Rudy Giuliani did with the broken windows policing, things of that nature. You know, I have to say there's something to be said about what he talked about. When people stop taking care of things in their neighborhood, nobody else cares either. Uh, that's true. Get ready to uncork a new adventure with Wild Wine Life host Ray Maxwell as he uncovers the perfect pairing of delicious wine and the great outdoors. From hunting and fishing to foraging, Ray takes you on a unique culinary journey that will leave your taste buds singing. Catch all of Ray's Wild Wine Life videos on the Wild Wine Life Facebook page at facebook.com slash wildwindlife, all one word, and savor the memories flavors, and adventure of wild wildlife. We talked previously about the budget and how it related to the debt ceiling rising. The House Republicans still haven't released their budget, yet President Biden has. What does that mean? Well, what it means at this stage of the budget battle, the Democrats have the clear upper hand. They have released a 6.9 trillion dollar monstrosity of a budget, but they have a plan out there and the Republicans still don't have a plan. And because of that, the Democrats can characterize these budgets any way that they can. You know, Becky, the rhetoric does not change from when years ago when they ran a commercial showing Paul Ryan, the budget chairman, throwing an old grandmother off the cliff in a wheelchair. This is the rhetoric that the president of the United States spokesman said today about the Republicans' lack of a budget. Quote, MAGA House Republicans' term sheet will hide their many proposals to add to the deficit with tax giveaways for big corporations, multimillionaires, and wealthy tax cheats, and tax hikes for the middle class and hardworking families. Those MAGA trickle-down proposals couldn't be more different from President Biden's budget, which cuts taxes for working families and ensures billionaires and special interests pay their fair share. You know, we know that that's all BS. But because Republicans don't have anything on black and white and the Democrats do, their plans are up for fodder and can be greatly distorted, as we see in that statement by one of the president's spokesmen. And we're running out of time, aren't we? Because aren't they leaving town for Easter break soon? Yeah, they are leaving town Thursday. They won't be back in session until April 17th. So that is a whole two or three weeks time that this cannot be debated. The Treasury Department said last month 
that we are technically in default, not in default, but we have technically ran out of money, but the Treasury Department was able to shift money around to different accounts to keep the United States solvent at least until June. And so today is March 27th. April is coming up very soon in a few days. May, June, that's a couple of months away. The legislative sessions, they don't work eight, 10 hour days. Uh, they work very few hours. So there's not a lot of time here that's left. The Republicans have said that they will release their budget sometimes in late April. So that does not leave a lot of time for maneuvering. Plus, you throw in the caveat that Republicans in the House are divided on their budget priorities. So Kevin McCarthy has to wrangle those cats in the House and get 218 votes and then try to make sure that that budget reconciles with Republican senators who may have other priorities coupled with the White House with their own priorities. I mean, we're looking at a uh, real entangled mess here. Well, and I can't think that it is putting on my partisan hat for a minute. I can't think that it's good for Republicans to let uh, President Biden have his say for over a month, just picking at their lack of a budget. Yeah, I think they realize that. But uh, as I said, you know, you have different factions within the House of Representatives that don't agree on what the budget should be. And until they can come to some type of reconciliation on that, then that's going to take time. And that's going to, you know, time that you can't negotiate with the president. So, you know, Kevin McCarthy is doing a real balancing act right now. He's got three different plates that are up in the air trying to keep them spinning. And uh, so far, he's been doing a good job. But along with those three plates spinning in the air, there's also an hourglass with sand uh, that's next to him that is running out of sand, running out of time at the same time. A good analogy there, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. So Vice President Harris is kicking off a seven-day diplomatic mission to Africa. I'm sorry, with all of the challenges that we have going on and her role as the border czar, why Africa? Well, Becky, I would hope that the vice president can chew gum and walk at the same time. I would hope that she could uh, address the concerns on the border, but also address what's going on in Africa. Africa is very important right now. You look at Russia and China, they are establishing peace deals between Middle Eastern foes there. China has established a military base in Africa. I think Africa is also important because you have the Boko Haram militants who call themselves an offshoot of ISIS. And if you remember, we are fighting ISIS in Syria right now. We have 900 troops there. Last week, they attacked those troops. Seven U.S. soldiers were wounded. We had one contractor that was killed. Africa is a very important region. You also look at China has been spending billions of dollars. Some of these uh, African countries, three of them that uh, Vice President Harris is visiting, they have spent billions of dollars in those countries on infrastructure projects, which in effect buying influence. So I think it's important that Vice President Harris goes to this trip. But if you look at her performances in the past on the national and world stage where she's looked like she's eaten one too many gummy THC edibles, I'm just afraid. I hope she doesn't screw this up. But it's an important trip. What are her goals walking out of that? 
I think her goals was one to show the African nations that uh, we have not forgotten you, that the United States thinks that you are an important part of the world, that the unrest and the poverty that in Africa needs to be addressed and that the United States has considerable resources that can help remedy some of those situations. I think the United States interest is to show that China and Russia is not in your long-term interest. The philosophy that they uh, adhere to, communism, is not a good governing philosophy that can help you have a good functioning, long-range society in that you know, the United States has used Africa for its resources, exploited Africa for its resources, as is much of the world, but that China and Russia, that is their purpose as well. And so they should be partners with the United States. And I would hope that in her trip over in Africa, that she would address the situation of these children and people working in these cobalt mines in these very dangerous places uh, where they are mining for materials for electric cars and a very dangerous occupation. Children are working there. So I hope that she would address that concern. I don't hold my breath uh, because of that, because we know how beholden the White House is to this green energy plan. In my simple mind, I'm looking at it and obviously to go over there and have those conversations, she's going to have to promise some money. In the meantime, here in the United States, we're looking at hitting a debt ceiling and negotiating budget. How does that work? Well, I've, you know, the United States has a budget for foreign aid. I'm sure there's plenty of money in there that they can get from different sources if they don't have it to give Africa some money. You know, Africa doesn't receive the money that it probably needs to try to get it on the right foot. Part of that is because the governments are so corrupt over there that the money is stolen instead of used for the good of the people. But I think the money that we have money in the budget for foreign aid that I think it handle any requests that they would have, immediate requests they would have. Do you think she can do this balancing act? I don't know. I just hope she sticks to the script. One of the criticisms of Kamala Harris is she doesn't read her briefing books. She's not prepared. And I hope that flying to Africa is, is a very long trip. And I hope that she is loaded up with plenty of briefing books and informational books and she studies up so that uh, she doesn't embarrass us on the world stage and can help us gain new allies in Africa, especially since she is African-American. That should help, I would think, to persuade some of these African uh, leaders to at least give the United States a second look and not be so beholden to Russia and especially to China. Given many of our actions late on the world stage, don't we come across as pretty weak in comparison to Russia and China? Yeah, we do. I mean, you look at the withdrawal from Afghanistan, you look at Chinese spy balloons going across the United States, and we finally shoot them down after they've gone over all of these military installations. You constantly hear the president and his administration saying that we don't want a conflict with Russia. We don't want conflict with China. We don't want conflict with Iran. Constantly hear that over and over. And I think the despots of the world see that as weakness. And I think that's why we're seeing all of this military activity right now from our foes. You see North Korea is firing weapons over towards Japan. You see Russian President Vladimir Putin over the weekend threatened to put nuclear weapons in Belarus. 
You see China still agitating against Taiwan, saying they want to take them over. They're upset that Taiwan president is traveling possibly to the United States. So there's a lot, a lot of things that have gone around the world that President Biden has not handled, I think, in the best way that he could and have made the United States look weak on the world stage. May God guide the gummy eating VP. May God guide the gummy eating VP. I will second that motion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Water Cooler Politics. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.